Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Yes, welcome to Script Shop. This is our podcast. I'm Jack. I'm Allison. And, you know, I know, do you want to understand how much I love this beverage that I've got here in a bottle? It's peach tea from a certain <gasps> sort of tea maker that I don't need to plug because they're not giving us any money to plug them. But maybe they would if we did. But, well, maybe, yeah. Frank, do you have any thoughts on that? Should we should we name this the brand of this tea that I'm holding in a bottle? Go for a... Um, I'm a tea in a bottle, baby. Go for a rhyming generic sound. Rapple. Yeah, okay, well, yeah. <laughs> Way to keep so it's it. It's not generic. No, but like the whole reason that I bring this up is so brilliant. The whole reason I bring this up is because I cannot properly describe how much I love peach tea. Like, I will know I have achieved some insanely stupid level of like success if I know that like in my home I could have like hot and cold running peach tea coming out of a faucet. Oh, that would be amazing. That would absolutely what be something I would do. What about a water fountain? Well, yeah, sure, whatever. I mean, I just like the idea of turning it into plumbing in my home mm-hmm. would be a goal of mine to mm-hmm. when I knew that I made it in an s- incredibly stupid way. I mean, all the sugars in that could possibly erode your plumbing, so there would be a lot of things to consider, Jackie. Well, I would have to hire an expert to make it happen. Well, I'm here I'm here when you're ready. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. I love peach tea with booze in it. Oh, fair enough. Well, do you love peach tea with booze in it? Well, sure. You're asking like you're asking me if I like bacon on a sandwich. <laughs> yeah, of course. I like the sandwich, and I like bacon on the sandwich too. Uh, Frank, do you like peach tea with booze in it? I don't like peach tea, oh, even boy. if it has booze in it. Like if I handed you a cup and I was like, Frank, you, I'd drink it with booze. There you go. Yeah, well, that's fair. You just, you just wouldn't like it, but you drink it. That's okay. Mm-hmm. So this is our podcast <clears throat> where we talk to. I'm Allison. I think I said that once. <laughs> <laughs> a legitimate look of upsetness on your face. This is our podcast where we talk to screenwriters about their scripts and why their script matters to them and why why they're telling the story that they're telling and why they're the only person who could tell this story. Because we truly believe that writers and artists in general have a true human connection to their work and the things that come from art come from people and we want to find that path we want to walk along it and we basically want to take a walk in someone else's shoes or in or in their head have them take us on a journey through their head and definitely through their script yes so if you have a screenplay that you've written and you want us to walk beside you or carry you in the sand depending on whether or not there's two sets of footprints at the sand all right yeah keep going boom and then send your script in the script shop show Okay, let me take a breath. Mm-hmm. <sighs> com. You can look us up online on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter as well, because we have lots of hilarity to offer you there. <laughs> oh, not as good as this metaphor of when there's only one set of footprints in the sand, that's when Frank was carrying us. Because now that's all I'm going to be able to think about <laughs> for a long period of time. So welcome to the show. Today we have a script written by Cheryl Allen. She's written The Last Light in Vegas, a 100-page gentle life lessons night in Vegas. 
Yeah. Yeah. Bit of a bit of a journey, a bit of an odyssey for the main character to go through yes. quite a few ups and downs to yeah. try to learn what the universe is trying to teach him. Mm-hmm. And I like things that happen like in one night. Those one night stories are oh, always sure. super fun. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But this one's a little more gentle, uh, albeit, you know, a couple hard edges in there, too. Yeah, he has. It, it's a lot of ups and downs. Yeah. Uh, also, we are on Patreon. If you want to support the show financially and you want to uh, help fuel this creative fire that we've got going and as we try to fan the creative flames Snapple. of others. We need Snapple in studio to... St- I mean, <laughs> if you're Snapple and you want to go on a Patreon, that'd be great. That would be great. We'd love that. But anyway, you can look us up, Script Shop Show on uh, Patreon. You could uh, take care of us that way. Also, we would just love, even without a, a monetary component to it, you can uh, leave us a review, uh, suggest a friend to check out the, the That's podcast. That's always the best. If we can get us a new listener, yeah. bingo bong. <laughs> That's what we want out of you. Yeah, you're just a means to an end. <laughs> Thank you. Excuse me. We appreciate I'm it like very so much. I'm like so giggly today, and I can't even handle it. Well, we've you know it's been a day. You you worked earlier today, didn't you? I know I you? did, and I worked last night too. Yeah. So that's it. Well, we should probably uh, Cheryl's waiting to uh, come on the show. We should probably yeah. maybe turn our focus to her since that this is why good. we're we're doing the show uh, in the first place. Uh, I believe from Louisville, Kentucky, Cheryl Allen. Hello. Hello, how are you guys tonight? Doing great, Luke Doopy, as can be, I guess. It's so nice to talk to somebody who's in the same time zone. We don't that doesn't happen all that often. Right. Yes. It's a pleasure to talk with you guys too. Thank you so very much. You're welcome. So you're in Louisville, Cheryl. Uh how long you been there? I've been in the Louisville area for about ten to twelve years now, but I'm originally from the northern Kentucky area. Okay. Closer to us even here. Yes, I grew up in Walton. Oh, geez, yeah, that's just a little ways down uh, down the road from Cincinnati. What what was it that the the, the short sort of hop from from Walton to Louisville was it was it a work related thing? Uh, it's a long story. Oh. <laughs> Do you want to tell us? <laughs> just it, it, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. Um, in a former marriage, I lived in a little log cabin on the wilds of a river in Western Kentucky, which sounds terrific. And everybody loves that until they actually do that. And yeah. we're just going to leave that right there. <laughs> Fair enough. It doesn't sound terrific to me. It sounds like it's a lot of work at the very, very, very least. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, but now you're, it, it's more of a, more of a city sort of living for you if you're in the, the Louisville metro-ish area. Yeah, I, I have job and family and friends and, you know, it's it's the perfect setup for me, actually. I can get to my family very quickly and I can get to my kids very quickly. So it's a, it's a real good place to be. Um, what are you doing for your day job now? I, and, and this is going to sound way more exciting than what it really is. <laughs> I do a export and import compliance for a defense contractor. You're going to have to tell me a little bit more about what that actually means, if you don't mind. If you if you have a piece of hardware that you need to get across a border, mm. somebody who knows how to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Cool. How long have you been doing that? How, how does one even get into that as a job? Yeah, they hand you a book at some point called <laughs> the International Traffic and Arms Regulations book and Ooh. say, hey, you look halfway intelligent. Read this and tell us what to do. Wow. <laughs> you say, okay, yeah, I can do this. And that's how most everybody gets started, and I've been doing that for over 20 years now. Wow. Yes, so you're pretty much an expert in this. No. Oh, 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 no. I, I, I <laughs> no. Um, so, you know, that sounds very different than what, you know, artists and writers typically do with their day-to-days, although everybody has day jobs, as yeah. we discuss 
all the time. All yeah. the time on this show. But how does like uh, writing work into your life? It it is an actual departure from what I do. I, I like what I do. I, I like the, you know getting into the rules and regulations and the laws and the structure of everything that I do. It it's it, it feeds this nerd component to me in ways that you know you, you got to do something right to keep the lights on. Sure. Um, but writing is a is like a one eighty from that where you know creativity comes into play and you you get to turn loose into things that your nine to five just are not going to fulfill for you. Yeah, you get to flex different muscles in your brain than what you're doing for eight hours a day, five days a week at the very least, right? Yes. And I think that people are, we're meant to create, mm -hmm. you know, it, we are meant to put things into the universe and, and watch them come to fruition so that's that's what writing does for me you know, how, how long have you been writing since i was a child like uh, literally at some point like first grade second grade somewhere in there someone you know someone handed me books of course the whole time i was a little little kid and then the light came on somewhere about first or second grade it's like you know there are people who do this for a living mm -hmm. that's really cool and since then, since I knew that there was, was this thing called a writer, I, I, I have written my whole life. Are we talking like journaling or you're making stories or poems or? Stories, poetry, of, of, you know, books, now screenplays, everything. What was it that got you to I, branch out into from like books and, and stories and that sort of thing that's so, I, I guess, maybe more traditional writing, especially for kids. And then as you evolve as a writer, how is it that screenplays, you know, as a as a as a as a format was one of the ways you wanted to go? Well, for me, I have to give credit to my my second husband. His name is Chris, and he is a lifelong lover of all things movie. And he's just this lexicon of, of everything movie related. And he's the one who kind of gave me the confidence and the courage. And, and really, I won't say pushed because that has some negative connotations, but said, you know, you should maybe consider taking it in this direction. And so that's kind of where my focus has been since. It sounds like uh, growing up, though, too, you know, you had did you have a family that was very supportive of such creativity that you could really explore all these different ways to have creativity in your life? I, I think so. I mean, you know, artists are, are their own different animal. <laughs> and I have like my, my parents are fantastic people, but they're they're very they have a very strong work ethic. And we grew up in a rural environment. Um that was kind of the push and the focus for them. So I, I would say that, you know, they believed in me and they had confidence in me to be whatever I wanted to be and pushed me to be that. But at the same time, there, there was always this, um, you're, you're going to get out there. You're going to have a nine to five. You're going to make stuff happen mm -hmm. in that direction as well. Uh, so with your writing, you know, you talked about really loving the structure of your work. Do you find that when you write, you tend to hang on to any sort of structure to build your story? For me, about 90% of the writing takes place in my head before a word ever goes on paper. Mm -hmm. Like as far as um, like actual plotting out or just coming up with characters? Plotting out characters, mostly dialogue. With me in the writing process, um, dialogue is is big key to developing characters so how conversations play out who these people are that sort of thing 
I hear that in my head first and that a lot of work and rework goes on in paper only after most of that has taken place in my head. Is it the kind of thing where the, you know, a conversation between two characters that's playing out in your head, does that conversation exist, like, say, before you have fleshed out who a character may be or even what the overall story is? Because we've we've talked to writers before who have just ideas about conversations and then applying that to a given script or scene and then maybe that can fit into whatever overall story they're trying to tell. I'm just I'm curious about what the uh, like what the order is, I suppose, for you. For for me, the the conversation is is secondary. Okay. Um, usually, what happens is I'll get a turn of a phrase in my head, and from there it kind of fleshes out like that. So you know, I like the way words just kind of form and appear, and mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I can incorporate this into this conversation, and then from there the storyline is driven from from that point. Mm-hmm. Okay. So with this script specifically, The Last Light in Vegas, was that title a phrase that got stuck with you? Yes. And it was based on something that actually happened. Mm-hmm. My, we had gone to Vegas, my husband and I, and it was my first trip there. And, it, you know, he'd been there multiple times. So we did like all the touristy things that you do. And we actually had gone to the top of the stratosphere one night. And I'm looking out and there's, it's for those who don't know who, what that is. It's it's a, a really large hotel at the edge of the strip that's got a really tall tower, and at the top of that tower there is a 360 degree platform where you have like these incredible views for for the whole town. Mm-hmm. So we were up in that platform. It was late at night, and I'm looking out, and of course the strip is gorgeous with all these beautiful lights and whatnot, but it's a 360 degree tower. So I'm taking a look at the far end. And there is this very distinctive boundary between what is Vegas and what is not Vegas. And so the adventurer in me is looking at that point. And at at some point I turn to Chris and I say, hey, wouldn't it just be so cool to go to that last light right there and figure out what's there? Now, we didn't do that. We did all the touristy stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was that's kind of what where all this came from. This is this is really haunting Mm -hmm. in a really beautiful way. And um, you'll, you'll have to check out this episode we did with a woman named Hyten Davidson who wrote this story called The Call. What was that? Oh, The Call, the Call of, the, of Void. the Void. Yes. And that's that's reminding me of what you were seeing is that you saw um, kind of a jumping off point and you wondered what was on the other side there. You know, you're in one of the most distracting places in the country, perhaps, yeah. in a place that's supposed to retain your attention specifically on what it wants you to and what you can't help but see is what's out there on the other side of that. And for me, that was the perfect metaphor, you know, of life itself, you know, light, dark, good, bad, night, day, mm-hmm. life, death. And, and it was from that point, the it wasn't the adventurer anymore. It was the writer in me. It's like, okay, what can we do with this? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to create the story that mirrored that metaphor. It sounds like your trip to Vegas was just like really inspiring overall. You know, this one moment that you had, but that one moment has turned into this larger script in general. 
Yes, and I I, I live for moments like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> well, it sounds like you have space for them. You know, if your work is very regulated, if it's something that has structure and order, you you have all of those boxes checked off in your life, and you have plenty of room for the unexpected. Then it seems. Oh, the ra- I love the theater of the random. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. So in terms of uh, other things that you've written, whether we're talking about short stories or actual uh, scripts, the theater of the, whatever random stories that you've come up with, where does this story uh, figure in to, is there maybe sort of a theme or are there certain themes that are a through line for other things that you've written over the years? Um, Not really. This one's completely, you know. Something I like, I wasn't kind to this character at all. Um, he's become my favorite kind of character to write, and in that innately he's he's somebody that's not particularly likable. Mm-hmm. But at the end, to find a way to find his humanity and connect with that is is something that challenges me as a person. and And I really like that component of it. Okay, yeah, because, I mean, this character, this main character, Justin Piper, does go on a a bit of a journey. He's under a lot of stress when he's leaving for this trip to go meet up with his friends for a bachelor party in Las Vegas, and he's really not into it. The idea of one of the notes I took when I was reading this was the the torture of being at a party and not being into it is its own thing, let alone the idea of being at a bachelor party in Vegas and not feeling in the mood for it. Yeah, That's a very, that's one of the circles of hell that I'm sure that Dante forgot to write about. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> batch non non Dante quite got the whole Vegas experience but I that would have been really cool to read. Yeah, it's one of the outer rings, but I mean it's one of them for sure. <laughs> but so he's at this party and he's got all this stress about work and a potential medical issue and ends up sort of getting away from the group of his guys saying, "Hey guys, leave me be. I, I need to I need to clear my head a little bit. I'll meet back with you tomorrow and we'll make the rest of this trip a good time, I promise." And then in that time, he 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 even noticed the light from the plane as he was flying into Los Vegas, just like you described, he sees this singular light kind of out in the distance on the outskirts of capital V Vegas, and it, 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 he, he's noticing it, and he and he almost immediately like subscribes meaning to it, like he 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 feels like there there's a point, there's a reason why he's seeing this light, and he's very driven early on to getting out to where this light is, and. Over the course of him getting out there, he gets mugged, he gets beat up because he's going through a relatively bad part of town and ends up running into some people over the course of this awful night that he either interacts with or does a lot of judging of. I think that's a, a huge theme is how how judgy he is in the beginning. And like you said, you wanted to write this character who's not very likable. Yeah. Right. And let me apologize for that. I have a crazy dog. Oh, oh, you're cool. No, it's totally fine. I didn't I didn't notice it, but I do hope we hear dog barks. Yeah, now. we're okay with dogs. We like dogs. <laughs> I like dogs. We like dogs. <laughs> okay. So yes, he is this innate an un, innately unlikable character that is completely not in the moment for good reason. And he sees the light and he's just captivated by it. It's like it catches his attention, and he does ascribe meaning to it, but he doesn't know exactly what's going on. So he does go through a whole lot. And and I, I kind of like to ascribe this more to like an Alice in Wonderland kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there's some surrealism there where he has to get – it's almost like a quest that's been put before him. And he has to 
to work his way through this quest to get to where he's going to go. Well, you know, and the one thing that we haven't specifically named yet is that as he's boarding his flight to Vegas, he gets a call from his doctor letting him know that he has pancreatic cancer. Right. So he's dealing with this very immediate... I got. I don't know. No, there's it's, this it's pressure. Imme- yeah, there's an immediate pressure. There's a depressing pressure. There's a life change here. There's this. If we're if we're thinking about this light in Vegas being the call of the void, it's also Piper recognizing his mortality and moving towards it in a way that he doesn't quite understand yet. That he's literally in the middle of having just got the news that he may have some serious cancer hours earlier. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And it's the kind of thing that, yeah, he's a jerk and he could have easily pulled his friend aside and just kind of explained everything. Yeah. But this is his friend's, you know, bachelor party. He doesn't want to mess up the fun that these guys are there to have. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of wants him to have his moment. So there's some humanity, humanity in him from even the beginning. Um, I do want to dive a little bit deeper into this because you talk about wanting to write this, this, non-likable character and he's a true jackass he is i did not like this dude at all going through here (laughs) he's very judgy he's he's very judgy you know he's being exposed to all these different people maybe he didn't want to ruin their fun but he definitely puts a damper on it by just not telling them what's going on with him and i i want to just straight up why did you decide to make him not likable you know i don't really know the answer to that question i (laughs) I kind of almost, and not to get too far into, you know, the political structure, but for two years now, we've talked about this guy, you know, Mr. Me Too, Mr., you know, affluent, privileged, you know, entitled guy. He's he's kind of driven all of our conversations as a culture. And, and I had to have had him in the backdrop when creating Justin Piper. And and I don't know that that was necessarily intentional, but I don't know that it was necessarily unintentional either. Do you think that he could be a metaphor more than a a true character in this story then? Absolutely. Yeah, almost like a cipher. And I I wanted to give him some humanity, but not really give him an out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because mm-hmm. yeah, so so he does. He goes on this. He, he's on this journey. He gets mugged. He's lost all of his stuff. He's been beat up, and he's he's meeting people as he's working his way further and further away from the strip, just to try to find this rando lamp post that he thinks is going to be his salvation. And he he meets a, a, a sex worker. He there's a family that's uh, living in their car. There's uh, a couple that's arguing in the middle of the night, and he's got his own. He interacts with some of them more than others, but he's definitely got his own opinion. Uh, of them and it's not a great opinion for most of them he's got a a certain way that he thinks that they are and even when they do surprise him he still he sort of has this well this is the way i think about you and it's a it's a bit of a like gears sort of grinding together once he's confronted with a different reality once the sun comes up and he has some re-interactions with these exact same people and he's literally and it it comes up in the script and i think it's going to be in the selection that we're going to read from it here in a little bit he sees these people in a different light and isn't it, he's forced to confront the fact that his initial impression of them isn't what he's seeing now, and it's not the strongest through line that he decided that there was. Absolutely correct. 
Um, do you want to, we should maybe get into yeah, let's read. the scene that we're going to read, because what we're building up to in the script that, that Cheryl wrote here called The Last Light in Vegas is that once Justin, he somehow, against all odds, does make it to this lamppost, right? He's 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 figured, he, or at, at the very least, he's decided this is the lamppost. Right. He's at this little park. He's exhausted. He's beat up. He can't take it anymore. He's and, been mugged. You and, know, he doesn't have his wallet. He doesn't have anything with him. And despite the kindness of strangers that he's run across as right. time's gone on, he's he's out finally with this light, and it's basically like, a, okay, what now? Here I am. I made it. Yeah. And now he's he, he's waiting for the next thing to happen, really. Right. Enter Margaret. And here comes Margaret. In an older woman who's kind of, I mean, she's kind of like the Oracle character here, mm-hmm. and that she waits for people to come by and then just helps guide them to the next piece. Yeah. Yeah. So, listeners, today we're going to be reading um, a selection from the script. It starts on page 74. I will be reading for Margaret, but I won't be doing an older lady voice. I'm going to just use my nice, kind lady voice because I think that's good enough. That's a good call. Thank you. Thank you. Jack's going to be reading for Piper, but he's not going to do his brotastic voice. He's just going to do normal Jack. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm brotastic enough as it is. Thank you. <laughs> and uh, Frank's going to be doing all of our action headings. So, thank you, Frank. Thanks, Frank. Yep. Oh, that's Frank. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Cheryl, we're going to just turn your mic off for a little bit, and we'll get back to you in just a few moments. Awesome. Awesome. Hang on. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, Justin's out here. He's in a bit of a – he's exhausted at this point, if nothing else, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and uh, so, Frank, whenever you're ready. Margaret looks down the street, confused. Did you walk? The bus doesn't come this far. I got a ride from a stranger. No. No. A friend. Look. A night ago, I saw this light and had to find it. I got mugged and lost my wallet and phone and spent an interesting and moderately terrifying night in a neighborhood that makes anything in the Big Apple look like a stroll in the park. Margaret sips her lemonade and grabs a chocolate chip cookie. This is a good one. Usually they have a rental car. Once had a woman come through the desert around the mountain on horseback. She told a story. Let me tell you. Piper eyes the table. He had not seen the cookies before. Can I... Margaret nods her head. This is the part where you start talking, Justin. About what? Margaret pulls the wisps of her hair back from her face. Piper hears the gurgle of oxygen in her nose. I don't know. Tell me about your interesting and moderately terrifying night. It was really late when I left the stratosphere. I called a cab and told him just the direction I was heading. You came here from the stratosphere. You spent a night there? In that neighborhood? I did. You're damn lucky all they did was mug you, son. Piper puts his napkin into the paper plate. Yeah, well, my cab broke down, and it was too late to call anyone else, and then before I knew it, these three assholes beat the shit out of me and availed me of my wallet, my phone, my watch, and my jacket. Watch? A young man like you still wearing a watch? I didn't think anybody but old people did that anymore. Margaret is not wearing a watch. So I decide to abort mission and walk back to my friends, but on my way back, I find this, I don't know, piece of street art or whatever, and, oh, God, I I can't explain. Art can be that way. Hits you, and you can't explain why. Yeah, but it it, it was more than that. Anyway, I I must have dozed off, and when I woke up, I saw this whore walking toward me. Whore? Whore? Piper regrets the word as soon as he says it. You know, a a woman who sells her body for money. Oh, I know the term and the concept. But that term, that tone from you? Piper leans back in the seat, 
defeated. She started out that way anyway. Did she morph into something else? In a manner of speaking, yeah. Margaret takes a napkin and wipes the corner of her mouth. I think you're going to have to explain this to this old woman, Piper. Well, I, I saw her later that morning, after everything that happened. And in the light of day, I saw her differently. Okay, tell me. Piper thinks intently on how to respond. That morning, I watched her walk to her door. She was so confident and tough the night before. And that morning, after what looked like a hard night, I saw her go from common sex worker, that's the preferred term now, right, to a mom, one who loves her kid. So what changed? Piper pauses, considering. When you get right down to it, nothing, really. Just my way of looking at her. You saw her in a different light? Piper considers that word choice. It obviously affects him. And scene. All right. Cheryl, that, uh, th- what he learns from Margaret, uh, she, he, he ends up walking through all of his other interactions with her, and he sort of keeps coming to the same conclusion over and over again. Right, that, you know, maybe our first impressions aren't really telling the whole story. Mm-hmm. What what about the Margaret character? Did you like so much that he, you know, we had to recap all the things that that had happened to him and kind of make him realize that it, he was the problem and not everybody else here? Margaret is kind of both the woman I hope I become and the woman I fear I become <laughs> when I get older. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she is kind of abrasive and to the point, very plain spoken you know, has no fear whatsoever of just kind of laying whatever out there. And I really like and respected that about her character. And at the same time, again, going through life without any kind of filter is is pretty scary in and of itself. But mm-hmm. she's the the cool thing about her character is that she has this dedication to this light, this almost sweet devotion to something. She happens to live by it. She doesn't understand how it works herself. But she serves the people and serves the light that are brought to her as a result of it. And I I really, I kind of dug her character a whole lot for that reason. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, people will come to that light maybe three or four times a year for different reasons and, and with different needs. She doesn't, I mean, she gets some premonition about who's coming and what they, you know, maybe a little bit about them. But she doesn't know anything at all really about who they are or what brings brings them to her so you know she's just kind of living in the moment with each of these people and justin happens to be one of them Mm -hmm. um she's more like a gatekeeper than an oracle yeah exactly she would be like if you're playing a video game she's like the boss battle lady that you have to do at the end of the video game Mm -hmm. uh there was an interesting uh the thing that came up with Margaret that also came up with the Pamela Amber character, the 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 sex worker that he meets earlier on and then and then sees again later. And then it, it made me start thinking about some other issues that are in this script. There's uh, some issues about gender and the roles that boys and men are expected to play versus what may be better for them emotionally, emotional health. It gets referenced a couple times about when, when boys are little, they're told not to cry, and then they... They 
don't nobody understands why they don't have a better sense of emotional health as they grow up. And then when he's talking to Margaret, she at one point yells at him to stop crying. And that was a complaint when Pamela and Amber, the Pamela slash Amber character was talking with him earlier. I was just wondering if that was obviously a conscious decision that you put in there between those two characters, right? Um, the other interesting thing, and absolutely, you're absolutely correct, but the other interesting thing about this is that he pretty much tells everyone to call him Piper, yeah, except for the women, and, you know, he leaves it open for Margaret to refer to him as either Piper or Justin, but, and she'll interchange both of them, and I, I thought that was pretty interesting about that as well. But yeah, you're absolutely correct. That that was in, in an intentional moment. Do you mean that like he he's treating the women differently because the women, you know, we have this theme of of people mothering him from the time he was a a child to become a certain type of person and then in response he treats them differently as well? Perhaps. And I think it's more subtle and unspoken than anything that meant to be out there mm-hmm. the piper justin thing i you know what was that thought process for giving him the duality of those names in the script i i, I think it was more of a bro thing like it's not uncommon for for men to reference each other by some sort of pet name or nickname or you know last names only and not be quite as formal mm-hmm. so in terms of like piper as a metaphor you just you're kind of building in some of these, um, I don't know, just like like societal base, expectations. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, it's a way to distance him and separate him, and at the same time make him inclusive. Hmm. Hmm. Have you written a script before where you've used a male voice? Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, I have. Hmm. And for whatever reason, and I kind of am annoyed at myself with this. I wish I could come up with like that strong female character that every woman <laughs> and maybe one day I'll get there. But I tend to think in male voices. Mm-hmm. I wonder, do you how do you feel about the Me Too movement? And what do you think about where this has gone in the past couple of years? And like, you know, maybe this is something that you're having to explore right now. And that's why this just keeps coming up. Well, I, I will put it out there by first of all saying that I'm 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 50, so I'm not a young young woman, but I'm not an old woman either. I've seen the progression of society enough to see where we are, where we've been, and where we may be heading. Um, and as as far as Me Too goes, and and just where we're at, I think that it's this digital age that we're in, we've got more ways to connect with people than what we've ever had in our entire lifetime. And yet it seems like we have a generation of keyboard warriors who are so quick to judge and condemn and divide and separate. And I I think what's really needed is more compassion and more empathy for men in general. I have spent my whole life loving men. I absolutely love them. And I I think that if you grew up in a day and an age where things were a certain way, and now that certain way is challenged from every angle, that's got to be at best a confusing time for men. And I don't want to give anybody any permission to be some of the ways that, that we need to have these conversations about, and we need to move the ball forward in. I'm, I'm, I'm not suggesting that, that, they get a pass because, but I am suggesting that 
if you have to reevaluate everything you've ever known about how life was quote unquote supposed to be, that it's going to cause you to question. And we, we need to do a far, far better job than what we've done of instilling conversation, instilling an opportunity to feel, an opportunity to express, an opportunity to, to kind of wonder where we are as, as a person. I, I hear that. As a yeah. society, sec, second of all. I hear that com- compassion is definitely needed. And in your script, you have a lot of com- compassion written for many of your characters. One who is having a confusing time in his life, the same way that, you know, our times are confusing for everyone. Whether it's gender, it's sexuality, it's, it you know, it could be class, it can be a lot of things. There's a lot that we are talking about. And compassion and showing empathy is really important. And I appreciate that your vignettes that you keep putting your main character into, the people that he meets, they meet him with compassion and they meet yeah. him with empathy. And that's repeated because you do have all of these vignettes where you represent these different ideas of what may seem like an unseemly lifestyle. And this guy is given the opportunity to rise to their compassion. And for a lot of the time, he doesn't. And whether he's male or female, that character could could potentially have been anyone who's just not really, you know, living their lives in a very general, compassionate honest, kind way, which brings us further along into the story where we have Piper then at the end of the story calling his uh, co-worker and apologizing for treating him mm-hmm. wrong, trying to do something about a child and the child's mother that he yelled at at the beginning of the script. He is feeling a bit more humanity and remorse in some of his actions and trying to reconcile what has happened with who he wants to be now. Correct. How do you feel um, about the whole story now that it's like all out there and you've kind of gone through this this big journey in the course of one night? I, you know, I, I, it's one of those cases where we could have followed him back to New York and we could have seen him progressively get worse. And we could have seen, you know, his family and friends and coworkers rally around him like people do when these things happen. But I didn't really feel like it was necessary to take it that far. For me, it's enough to know that, yeah, there's been some changes. There's been some progress in him as a person. And, you know, we're left with the sense that, yeah, for the time that he does have remaining, he's going to make the best of it. Mm-hmm. And he's going to repair the things that he can repair in the time that he has. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I did want to ask you, Cheryl, there, there's a reference to it in that scene that we read, and I had this note earlier on because it happened somewhat earlier in the script, that wall graffiti that he comes across when he's early on in his journey and he's sort of walking, he's he stops before he even remotely makes it close to this light. And there's this gorgeous piece of wall uh, art that he sees that really sort of takes his breath away and he's looking at it. And then like as he's looking at it, he's noticing little details that you don't see when you're seeing it at first. And it was just it was so specifically described. And I was just curious if that was an actual thing that you've seen somewhere or what the uh, what that was exactly about for you. I had that in a dream. Oh, wow. Wow. Yes. As I was writing the script, I I came across this conundrum as, you know, look, you know, he's at this turning point where he could either turn back to the strip, get back to his friends, call it a night. But I really kind of need him to push on. Mm -hmm. And I, I was struggling with, you know, not to be like, how do you construct that? How do you make that happen in this universe? And, you know, I was kind of kicking that around a little bit. 
And that whole mural is something I dreamed. Wow. It was okay. just the coolest thing. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a bit of a metaphor in that, in the image, because you describe it as this like sort of God's eye in the center, and then there's a bunch of colors around it and with different forms of like joy and life. And then the further out he looks, the more he gets onto the edges of it, it's a little more brutal and it's a little more grim. And it sort of felt like a bit of a metaphor for him being in the center of this city, and he's working his way almost away from the light, but there's a, there's a point that... Like he's trying to get to something and he knows it's going to be a tough journey was the the sort of message that I got from that. Yes. And I think that, you know, life works that way. You can look at it in the micro or you can look at it in the macro. Mm. And when you're no matter how you look at it, whatever you focus on is what you find. And, and so for him, you know, he worked his way kind of out. But then as part of that piece of street art, the thing that clenched it for him, the thing that made him decide, you know what, I, I could give up right now and go back to my friends yeah. and call it a night. You know, he sees the street lamp, the light he's looking for is part of this mural. And so he kind of takes that as a sign that, yes, he's to press forward no matter what at this point. You have to find a heck of an artist to recreate uh, this thing that you had in your head overnight, oh. the one night, right? <laughs> I so. I want to see this thing so bad. <laughs> I really, really hope that that comes to fruition. Do you have any plans about production or do you have any, um, you know, forays into the world to get this story produced? I, I think right now my focus will become um, competitions. At this, you know, getting it into a few competitions, both on the smaller scale and on the larger scale and see where we go from there. What about like a dream cast? You know, who would you who would you oh, choose yeah. for Justin Piper? Who's your Justin Piper in your head? The- oh, you know what? I I have thought about this. I can't really come up with anybody now. Other screenplays I've written, I've I've had the whole thing cast. I knew exactly who I wanted, mm-hmm. and I had music picked out and the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> On this one, I just can't. Mm-hmm. I can't come up with like a name and a face. It needs to be somebody who is both vulnerable and yet explosive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, vulnerable and explosive. Well, it's too bad that Bradley Cooper already did the Hangover movies because I mean, this is this is like the, <laughs> this is the Hangover that's like try. This is the inspiring Hangovers. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I I keep coming back to like Casey Affleck's performance yeah. in Manchester by the Sea, uh-huh. where there's that intensity and that explosiveness. Yep. Somebody like that would mm-hmm. be mm-hmm. ideal for this that character. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you got I, your I, dream your dream lead picked out right there. Then. There I, I want to see somebody who can just step into that role and wreck me. Yeah. Yeah. What's the best way for somebody to get in touch with you, Cheryl? Email is clsmithallen, A-L-L-E-N, at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter as Innovative One, and I'll spell that out. Oh, it's yeah. N-O-V-8-T-I-V-E-1, and I'm also on Reddit that way. Oh, perfect. Okay. Well, listen, uh, Cheryl, thank you very much for sending us your work and taking the time to uh, talk about it with us uh, this evening. We really appreciate it. I genuinely appreciated my time with you. Thank you. Thanks, Cheryl. That's Cheryl. Yeah. Yeah, the idea of like journey through the desert to better oneself is such a, that's such a a human. It's kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it has been for a long time. Journey through the desert. What would you take on your journey through the desert? I, I, I probably, like if I. Water. Well, oh well, no, I don't know. That's not really a journey to the desert. <laughs> you would have right? to take your 
your plumbing for your peach tea water fountain. Yeah, I need your journey through the desert. I would need as many bottles of Snapple peach tea as I possibly could, (laughs) and like maybe like sunscreen and a hat, some like thing that I could listen to the songs that I want to listen to. Oh, there we go. That's I mean honestly, that's the answer that I wanted. Is like, what would you take? What would I take? I would take a photo of my family. That's what I would take on my journey through the desert. (laughs) Okay, well that's very sweet. You know, I need to know. I don't need to laugh at that. That's just very sweet. Where my guiding light is to get me through that to figure out what's next. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the light that you're going for. The next short film we're all producing, guys, is Journey Through the Desert. Well, but that's, I mean, that's this movie right here, The Last Light in Vegas. What are you doing at the end of that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, Cheryl Allen, Last Light in Vegas. Uh, so if you've uh, got a, something that you're looking to work out and uh, you're in a bit of a journey with it, why don't you finish it up and then you can send it to us and you can do that by going on to scriptshopshow.com slash submit. That's right. We can't wait to read your work. So get your script into us so that we can get in touch with you and then talk to you about what it means and kind of how you're dealing potentially with your world and seeing how that comes out in your art. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can follow us. We post updates about when shows are coming out, what's coming up next, little promotional videos, yep. uh, promo audio that we do uh, before a show Bonus comes out. Bonus shows are hilarious, so yeah. you should check them out. We have fun with it, and we'd like to have fun with you too, so please check us out, follow us on all those things on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Script Shop Jack. And I'm at your bestie, Westy. And uh, yeah, folks, thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Thanks to all of our writers who send yeah, stuff in. we love it. Um, thank you guys, and until next week, that's a wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Script Shop.